what's up guys welcome to the osmo.com nfl strategy show presented by no house advantage we're going to be taking a look back at week 10 to find out the lessons that, that we can take from that and i got the perfect guy to, to help take a look at this slate someone who will be not sarcastic at all about all the the plays that went well and went poorly adam should my money share adam how you doing man i'm good uh, always nice to go back and and commiserate about how poorly yesterday's football slate went <laughs> yeah dude uh, i've been every week for the past like two or three weeks i've been like chasing all the the sunday main slates on the prime time and it works pretty well so far so uh any luck uh did, did you do a lot of different slates or mostly just the main yeah i play early main afternoon and then showdown uh talked about it on the show with josh earlier but um, normally like I, I do well in showdown cash. I really enjoy that. Um, so I made my, I registered everything yesterday, made my showdown cash lineup, decided, you know, what I was going to play, then made my tournament lineups, entered them, whatever, apparently never actually entered my cash lineup. So I looked back like partway through the slate. It was like, I wonder how my, my team's doing. I look back and my cash lineup has like 0.3 fantasy points because it has like six dudes that like I've never heard of. So, uh, that, that didn't really help chase my losses yesterday. And that is uh, that's the stuff that DFS nightmares are made of, man. Yeah. How are you doing today? <laughs> like, it seems like it didn't throw you off your game too much. Yeah, well, I went to bed at 9 30, so that was nice. I didn't have anything better to do. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, I think uh, playing a lot of different slates definitely helps because uh, you get exposure to a lot of different guys. Now, yesterday's slate was kind of interesting because. Is it felt like a lot of the guys that everyone was on did pretty well, but not exceptionally well. So I was kind of confused at the end of the day why I didn't have any really good lineups. <laughs> what was your experience like? Yeah, well, I saw I saw your tweet about the show, and I saw somebody's reply about playing a lot of Falcons and that being the reason why. And for me, that, <laughs> that was pretty much it. I uh, had a good amount. Like, I had a good amount of the Cowboys, but I played a lot of Pitts. I played a lot of Matt Ryan. Um, I think I had a decent amount of like Patterson and yeah. So the Falcons not being able to hang in that game was pretty unfortunate for me. Um, also just not enough CD lamb, I guess, which didn't, didn't go very well. Um, had a lot. I went with a lot of, of cheap quarterbacks. I was actually interested to look at that today to see you know, like what you had done, what some other players had done, because I kind of thought maybe it was a mistake uh, just, you know, because they're not very good and, and all of that, but I had played a decent amount of, of Rudolph and McCoy because um, I thought they court like I liked a lot of the pieces that I could play them with and going back and looking, it seemed like uh, a lot of other people did that too. So maybe, maybe not as dumb as I felt, but still didn't work out. Yeah. I mean, after Mike White won the slate a few weeks ago, that really reminded us that any quarterback can get it done. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I felt pretty good about getting some value pieces before we get too far into the slate review here, guys, if we can hit the thumbs up button, uh, and also subscribe to our channel so that you can catch up with all of our shows. We got content for NFL, NBA, NHL, PGA, and college. So really covering all of your bases for daily fantasy. And we also have some free content on awesome.com today. We have the Monday night football showdown projections. So that's totally free. NFL and NBA player rankings and college basketball projections made by uh, Matt Gajeski and uh, Adam, you've been having some pretty good luck in college uh, football recently. Have you dipped your toes into the basketball yet? No, I haven't, I haven't gotten into basketball yet. Kind of 
stretched thin between football and and NBA and hockey and uh, NFL and whatever else I'm playing now. But uh, yeah, I played a little bit of, of college basketball last year using mass projections and it went well. Yeah, same. I uh, I played during March Madness and I like took down the first slate. So <laughs> a little beginner's luck using mass projections. But uh, yeah, I think uh, just exposing yourself to some more slates is never a bad idea if you want to kind of build your bankroll up. So make sure to check out the college basketball projections. All right, let's start by taking a look at the Millie Maker winning lineup. The uh, Millie Maker winner this week was Epi99. It looks like he uh, had multiple entries because his 34th entry was the winner here. And he had the Bills stack. Uh, he had Allen and Diggs. And that's all he took from the Bills game. He didn't take any other Buffalo players, no Jets players. So what did you think about the Bills stack yesterday? I liked it. Um, you know, I, I think it's the perfect example of a spot where you don't necessarily need to, to have a run back just because, you know, the Jets are so bad. But there's still a, a good chance that, you know, even if the Jets don't hang in the game, that you're getting, you know, good performance from Allen plus Diggs or Allen plus Beasley or, you know, one, one of those pairings. So um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, also yesterday's slate was just one where you had such clearly good value pieces, you know, like Dearness Johnson and Mark Ingram, who he used, that that's another reason why I think, forcing a run back in a situation like that isn't necessarily something you have to do because part of the reason that you're going to force that run back in is to um, like it, it increases your correlation, but it's also typically just to like make another piece of your lineup likely to have success if your, your stack does. But yesterday there were such like obvious plays that I thought the value of that was a little bit lower as well. So I think it makes sense in, in that kind of spot to just, you know, Allen digs and then play some good plays around them. Definitely. Yeah. I think, uh, it kind of makes sense because uh, if you're only going for one receiver, you're hoping that, you know, that uh, you get like two or three touchdowns out of them and then Josh Allen has a pretty good game. You don't need anything too like crazy to go uh, in that game for them to, to have that kind of performance. Now, uh, this guy, Epi, he hates running backs apparently because he had three of them. None over 5K. So he went for all the budget options. That really created kind of a unique lineup construction where he spent up at, at the other positions. So, uh, I mean, Dearness Johnson and Mark Ingram were kind of the value plays du jour. But Ramondre Stevenson was really interesting. He was questionable. And uh, you had Damian Harris out. He didn't practice all week, so I think a lot of us were kind of unsure what was going to happen in that game. But what was your? Well, how did you handle Ramondre Stevenson? Not well. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't get to him, and it was one. It was one of those spots. And I hate spots like this where, like, going into the slate, I was, you know, I kind of looked at it like, man, this is this has the potential to be like such a good play if you know, the opportunities could be there. You know, we know Harris was out. It kind of reminded me of like a couple of weeks ago when Ramondre Stevenson was a surprise scratch like an hour before lock. And it was just like, I should probably be bumping Damian Harris more than I am. And then Harris went out and like broke the slate. It was the same kind of thing where it was like, you kind of could see it coming, but at the same time, I didn't, I just didn't like get to it because you had Ingram, you had Johnson, you had all these other running backs that I liked anyway. It was kind of just like, yeah, I, I'm just not going to get there. And obviously I wish I had, I think it was a very good play in this type of tournament. Um, you know, not, not just because it worked out, but you know, when you have him at 3% owned with, realistically a similar 
ceiling as, as the guys that are getting tons of ownership in that price range. I thought it was a very good play. So it's one of those where I wish I'd been on it, but I, I do kind of appreciate when they end up being like a tournament winning play. Cause I think it was just a, a smart play at that, at that ownership. These are the guys that always give me a lot of trouble. The ones that the workload is just a big, big question mark ranging from like, he barely plays to he like has a workhorse role and the conventional wisdom was that because he didn't practice all week and he was a rookie that like he wouldn't be as big a part of the game plan. In this case, I was completely wrong. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's good to, to have sleepers like that where no one really knows. Uh, so Epi took a chance and it really paid off. The play I really like is Hunter Henry because right before lock, Jonu Smith was a surprise scratch. And Hunter Henry stood the benefit a lot, especially because Jonu Smith seems to always nab those uh, touchdowns. So uh, did he bump Henry up at all once you heard that news? Uh, not not as much as as I should have. Um, I yeah, I I didn't react very well to it. Like I had, uh, yeah, I, I just didn't re- react that well. Like I started making my lineups before that came out, and then just didn't get much more Henry in than I was already getting. Yeah, I tried to prioritize him a little bit more, but I don't know if I had that many lineups with him in it to begin with. So that was a little bit tough to pull off without. Yeah, I don't think this news is worth like completely restructuring all your lineups. So that was tough. Now, uh, Keenan Allen, CD Lamb. I mean, these are stud wide receivers. So, I mean, pretty much good in in any lineup if you have the money. Did you have any particular take on the wide receivers uh, in this lineup? Um, I thought. So, I mean, Diggs, obviously, I, I thought was a really good play, and, and he paired with well with Allen. Um, Keenan Allen, I thought, was a good option. You had a ton of ownership going to Mike Evans at that same price point. I thought that they were pretty similar in terms of, you know, Allen was in a good spot as well. Uh, you know, I, I understood why people were playing Mike Evans, but you had it was a good spot for Keenan Allen at a lot lower ownership. So I liked that play. I liked CeeDee Lamb. You know, I thought that getting pieces from that Cowboys and Atlanta game made a lot of sense. He wasn't that popular either. And again, basically the same price as Mike Evans, who was getting, who had like three and a half times the ownership. So I thought that they were both just really good examples, or I guess really all three of them, really good examples of just like elite talent wide receivers in good spots that really weren't getting much ownership. Yeah. And one of the interesting elements is them all being kind of priced up. It's hard to like get a lineup with all three of those guys. So it was a pretty unique combination, I have to imagine. So uh, sometimes like having a lineup construction where you really go all out on uh, some high priced guys, not, maybe not many people will have that. Now let's uh, look at the defense real quick. I feel like defense is always a crapshoot, but uh, it's funny because I feel like the Eagles defense is particularly bad. And I, I'm never worried about that because I'm just looking at the opposing matchup and I'm like, how, how turnover prone are they? In the case of Denver, I think it was they're, they're about an average team, maybe a little bit below average with Bridgewater. So uh, it's no surprise that just some random defense kind of rose to the top. Any thoughts? Yeah, it kind of just goes back to like my general approach to defenses is, you know, in tournaments, I would like a cheap defense that isn't popular. And outside of that, I don't really care who it is because like, just the way scoring is set up, you're for them to actually make a difference in your lineup, you 
probably need them to either get a pick six or run back a fumble or a kick or kick or something like other than that, you know, if your defense scores like nine points and another defense scores seven points, it doesn't really matter. The only way that you put up big scores is like, you know, the Eagles had a touchdown, the Cowboys had a touchdown and didn't give up like anything, you know, defensively. So you, you saw teams like that, you know, kind of rise to the top, but at, at really low ownership. And so I think, that's kind of just – I like to spread out my my defensive exposures typically. I thought yesterday was a slate where it was really good to do that because you had like the, – the cash defense, for example, was the Lions at 2,300. And it made a lot of sense in cash because they were cheap. They were playing Mason Rudolph. But at the same time, that's an objectively horrible team. And, uh, you know, no offense. And uh, they're not – it's not like it's scary to get away from the Lions in tournaments and use somebody like the Eagles or the Cowboys or whoever. So, uh, you know, the Browns are in the lineup that came in sixth. They got negative two, but the same kind of play. We're just, you know, they're, they're low owned, they're cheap, and that's kind of all that I'm looking for. Nice. Um, yeah, so congrats to Epi. Uh, pretty good lineup here and really kind of found the angle that that performed. Uh, I think the key play is really the Patriots guys, Henry and Stevenson, both are really low owned, and they, they had huge performances. So that was a, a nice one. Let's, uh, let's look at the, the slant a little bit. First, I want to get your opinion on the slant. The, the slant is their $9 tournament on DraftKings uh, that pays 2x for a min cash. I feel like this tournament, it's a lot tougher than the, like other tournaments. I, I feel like that format doesn't really bring in like the casual players, so... Like my general opinion on like they have a lot of these for NBA too, where it's like a five thousand person tournament, like six dollar entry. Like these are pretty low on my list of tournaments to enter, but they can give a really good idea of what the sharp money was on in any given day. What's what's your opinion about the slant? Yeah, I kind of have mixed feelings on it too, because like I completely agree that it's a more difficult tournament in, in the sense of the you know, there's just a higher percentage of 150 max players to the field. But the reason that I've always kind of liked it as like a mid stakes player is when you look at like the tournament offerings, you know, now, now they have the $5 with 50 K at first. I don't think they've had that forever. I could be wrong, but the $9 to me was always just kind of like a nice middle ground where, yeah, the competition's stronger, but you're not going to lose your money as quickly because the payout structure is pretty solid in terms of um, just being flatter. And so it's not, you know, you get a million dollars if you're in first and you get, you know, $999,000 less if you're in 10th. Uh, so it's, it was a little bit flatter and and it's just a tournament that it's at a price point where like, you're not, you don't have to risk $3,000 like you do for the million maker. So I've, I've kind of always had mixed feelings on it. Like I agree, it's a very difficult tournament relative to some other large field tournaments, but at the same time, I think if like, you're kind of, it, it can be difficult in DFS, like to be like, higher than a, 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 you know, micro stakes player, but like not have the bankroll to play like higher stakes. So if, if you're kind of like stuck in that range, I, I think it's a useful tournament just price point wise. Yeah, definitely. Like reducing variance a little bit can allow you to, to put more of your money down uh, safely. So there's some, uh, some interesting factors at play here. Uh, when we look at the ownership, uh, the top two owned plays were really kind of guys that I think we were keying on, in on with Dearness Johnson and, and Mark Ingram. Now, 
like uh they then ended up doing pretty pretty well as well but it seems like they didn't really make or break your day as you'd expect with a high-owned player uh because everyone had them so what were your thoughts yeah pretty much um you know i wasn't playing these guys expecting them to like be the reason i win a tournament because obviously they're not going to be but it was just more so they're so cheap and, you know, running backs, there's, there's obviously a lot of variance in general, but they are like cheap running backs are typically a safer bet than when you get like cheap receivers stepping into a bigger role. Um, because, you know, a lot of times you kind of run into that talent gap at receiver where it's just like, oh yeah, this was a third string receiver for a reason. And he's just not getting open and he's not getting the ball running backs. You know, they're handing them the ball. You kind of, if there's a hole in front of you, you're going to get yards. If there's not, you aren't, but, but um, it, they're just a little bit more reliable. So, I typically, when you get something like this, whether, you know, it's Johnson and Ingram this week or Alexander Madison a few weeks ago with cook out, uh, typically I'm willing to just go pretty heavy on them and, uh, you know, figure out the rest of my lineup elsewhere as far as being contrarian. Now, one interesting element of this tournament is it has a lot less entries, uh, which kind of counteracts the fact that these players were higher owned. So that kind of uh it's kind of interesting with Dearness Johnson because I feel like that ownership of above 50% in the, this particular tournament is pretty uh shocking but it's hard to argue with them being on a team that averages more than 100 rushing yards a game and all the running backs were out so if you knew the ownership now would that change your approach at all so I think I would have still had a lot um the the gap between him and Ingram, I think, is kind of interesting. But I guess it was even – it ended up being pretty similar even to, like, what the ownership projections were in terms of, of like, the ratio. So um, I think I would have ended up doing something similar. Like, I basically ended up around the field on Johnson and then getting more Mark Ingram. So I guess I was just using cheap running backs as a whole more than the field was. But I took a bigger stand on Ingram as, as the lower-owned guy out of the two. I think, I, I think, you know, if I knew the ownership, I would have probably done something similar uh, – it just wasn't a spot where I minded getting a lot of those guys. Definitely. Uh, I mean, they were projecting almost as well as some of the higher price guys and they were like way cheaper. So it's hard to, to really argue with those plays. Um, I also kind of thought it was just like not a great receiver slate. So like my, my exposures would have looked different if this were like the slate where you had, you know, 5K T Higgins and Hollywood Brown and Michael Pittman and like all those guys that we had a couple of weeks ago. But today it was sort of just like, I don't really like or love any of these like cheap receivers. So if I forego the popular cheap running backs, I just end up getting lineups that I feel like I'm like sacrificing in multiple spots. Yeah, definitely. Now, Devontae Adams did stand out because his price was a little bit low uh, compared to what we're used to. And the matchup versus Seattle, like you would think two great, great quarterbacks like Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers would have a pretty exciting game that ended up not being the case at all like it was a complete dud and that just kind of reminds us that what we expect in football like like there's such a wide range of outcomes there he ended up having a good game from like a yardage standpoint I think he had like uh eight catches for 70 or something like that um but no touchdowns so he didn't really end up being a very valuable piece uh and then we we also had uh Evans and Godwin kind of benefiting from some of the injuries on the Patriots 
and the the team that everyone was kind of playing for uh, receivers was the uh, the Cowboys, where Amari Cooper was a little bit cheap. Everyone was on the DAC stack. So how did you handle the the receivers? Yeah, so I ended up playing a lot of Godwin. Um, I see you did too. I, I thought that was a spot where, you know, like seeing how the ownership came in on Tampa Bay, I would do that all over again for sure. Uh, Godwin in this tournament, 10% owned compared to 27% for, for Mike Evans. We had talked about it a bit on the, the strategy show yesterday morning, but it was, you know, both guys are, are obviously good options. Uh, it was a spot where Tampa Bay underwhelmed and we expected them to do better. But I don't think there's much of a difference in terms of, of range of outcomes for these guys. I don't think you should ever really have one of them pulling almost three times the ownership as the other one. Like I know Godwin was banged up a little bit, but um, still just, you know, if you tell me that that one of them is going to be 10% and the other is going to be 30%, I'm pretty happy just kind of like flipping the ownership on them. Um, so I, I thought I was pretty happy with that, even though it didn't really turn out that well. Um, as far as the Dallas guys, I kind of feel like I never get them right, but um, just sort of got around the field on both of them. I think um, Amari, you know, really, really disappointed. Lamb didn't, but I thought getting to the, to, to both sides of that game was, was really appealing. That was a game that had, I think like a 54 point total. Uh, so getting to, to Lamb and to Amari made a lot of sense to me. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, man, Kyle Pitts it seemed like he was about to have a big day, but then uh, they pretty much pulled Matt Ryan so that really fizzled out at the end. That was kind of disappointing. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that was a really weird result that C.D. Lamb got two receiving touchdowns and Ezekiel Elliott got two rushing touchdowns. So, like, the team did really well, except the quarterback, like, didn't really put up a big well, score. Dak had a rushing touchdown, too, though. Oh, he did? Okay. So, uh, I guess he put up 26. So, it was it was a, a, one of the better scores at quarterback. So, I think that's if I was stacking the Dallas Cowboys, that probably would have been a pretty good way to do it is Zeke plus a lamb, but I don't know if I had that. So, yeah, I was actually going to ask kind of what your thoughts on that were because one thing that I've noticed like over the couple of years I've done this show is I used to try and avoid the quarterback like the stack that includes a running back with my quarterback outside of, you know, a few guys like McCaffrey. And then as like the more and more, I was just like looking at guys who win tournament or lineups to win tournaments. I was just like, I think I might be overstating like the negative correlation there because, you know, like obviously if the, if the running back runs it in, the quarterback's not throwing it in. But at the same time, if you're constantly in a position to score, there's a good chance that you get, uh, you know, just points for everybody. And so like yesterday I did have a decent amount of like Dak plus lamb plus Zeke. And I think that's still a way that you can kind of differentiate as well, because people are aware that there is some negative correlation. And so, you know, it's really common to get Dak plus Lamb plus Cooper. And if that three man goes off, you still have a lot of competition. Whereas, you know, if a game plays out like yesterday, where it's just like they score a ton of points and everybody does, uh, it's, it's lower owned. So that's a spot that I've kind of switched to. And I'm still not like super comfortable with it, but I kind of like that, that it, seems like not as many people make those stacks. I don't think you're giving up that much in terms of your ceiling. Definitely. Yeah. I think there's a narrative that you want your quarterback in a team that's like trailing because they get more passing attempts, but that never has made a ton of sense to me because if they're trailing, that means they haven't done that well in the game so far. So (laughs) there's like kind of some counteracting factors there. So, uh, I think that the Zeke is a guy that catches passes too. So we'll see 
can catch touchdowns once in a while. So that's also something that's playing into it. But yeah, I think that a lot, like a lot of times the winning team stack, it's just like the other team, like didn't really have any drives that, that went anywhere. So like in this case, Dallas just had a ton of plays. There's only like a fixed amount of plays in each game to go around. So if you can get a team that, that has way more plays than an average game, then that's a really good spot. So I think that that could be, could have been what happened here. Um, now one guy I want to get your opinion on was Najee Harris. Uh, I, I was way over on him. I think I had him in like 50% of my lineups and 36% in the slant. So what I was thinking is, okay, like Ben's out. Pittsburgh still had like a 25 or 26 team total, which is really high because the Detroit defense is just so miserable. Uh, But like not only did like a lot of the pros not have a ton of Najee Harris, they didn't have the the Pittsburgh stack either. So I just wasn't sure what people, why people weren't on Pittsburgh with seemingly a huge matchup. So what, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm kind of so I was actually kind of surprised I didn't have more. Like I thought Harris was a good play. I thought Jonathan Taylor was a good play. I didn't have much of him either. Um, it just I think for me, I just kind of loaded up on Johnson, Ingram, and Connor. You know, one thing I think was that while obviously Johnson, Ingram, Connor were getting ownership, we still had like a 21% owner ownership projection going to Najee Harris. So it wasn't like he was projected and he came in at you know, about 20%. So it wasn't like he was projected to be someone that lost ownership as a result of people going cheap at running back. He still looked popular to me. So I think, I think for me, it kind of just worked out where my lineups projected better going with cheaper running backs. And I wasn't getting much of an ownership, a, a big enough ownership discount, I guess, uh, you know, kind of like just looking at my, my ownership exposures, you know, I had tons of Johnson, Ingram, Connor, but then I also was getting to like the, 6,500 to 7k guys, Patterson, Swift, Zeke, Fournette. I just never really got up to a lot of those 8k guys. And so I'm thinking it was probably just not getting enough of a discount on ownership to justify giving up projected points there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you have an 8k running back that's projected for 20, that's not really gonna to help or hurt your projection. It's, it's kind of neutral. So I could definitely see that it, uh, it didn't end up working as well as I hoped, but only 20 fantasy points. That was a decent result. Uh, now, Connor was really interesting. And uh, I, I noticed that the line in the morning, like, okay, they, they announced that Ky- uh, Kyler Murray and Hopkins were what I thought was doubtful. But in between the morning and the afternoon when the game tipped, the line went from, like, minus 9.5 to minus 6. So there was like some huge line movement, even though I felt like the news had pretty much been determined. So what was your take on that? Like, do you think that there was more of a chance that Kyler Murray played than we gave them credit for? I didn't even realize that it happened, but uh, that's weird because like, I mean, those reports had come out the night before, you know, like Edmonds clearly wasn't going to play and then that Kyler wasn't likely to play. So yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it could, I guess, just be Carolina, not having a quarterback but like that wasn't news either so it's weird that anything really changed at that point yeah that was really strange but uh, I went off that minus 9.5 number when I built my lineups and clearly uh, we all got to a lot of Connor it looks like Steve was uh, almost all in on him 
And it made so much sense because you had Edmonds out. You had the backup quarterback in. You'd think that's a spot where you'd see a lot of rushing attempts and they're big favorites. Unfortunately, the Cardinals did like absolutely nothing yesterday. So what do you think? Was that a, a good play and just bad luck or did we just have the whole situation wrong? I think it was still a good play. Like he's still cheap. He still has, you know, just so much touchdown equity there. And he also catches passes. So it's not like he's a completely uh, run dependent guy uh, or, you know, like rushing dependent guy, I should say. And then also, you know, again, it's there was ownership there, but compared to like all these other options, it wasn't really crazy. You know, we had him projected at 16%. He came in at 21. So basically the same ownership to him as to Najee Harris, you know, not a big difference really in ownership between Connor and Jonathan Taylor. So again, it was just a situation where I think not, not that he's as good as Taylor or, you know, necessarily offers quite the same uh, upside as guys like Taylor or or Najee, but in terms of, of medium projection, he looked very good at his salary and then he does still offer a ceiling for sure so i just kind of thought that if they're all going to be owned equally like going to connor made a lot of sense given the salary discount yeah i agree he stood out as the best uh kind of mid-range to spend up option at running back but that that definitely was a lineup killer yesterday i guess 15 isn't horrible but compared to uh how everyone else did it didn't really pay off at all now, are there any chalk plays that you want to call out as maybe bad plays? Not really. Uh, I was, I guess I was pretty heavy on chalk yesterday. Uh, the only one that I thought was just like objectively bad wasn't even bad. Like it, it, Mike Evans, you know, kind of already mentioned it, but it wasn't that I thought he was bad. It was more so like, why is he getting so much more ownership than all of Godwin, Keenan Allen, uh, CD Lamb? Like that, that 7K range was actually kind of loaded in terms of talent so um it was just a situation where i was like okay this is weird like why is he getting so much more but um even that you know it's not like i didn't understand why people were playing mike evans it was more so just like why does everybody feel so strongly about him versus these other guys yeah i wonder how much godwin being questionable played into that where people were a little bit more likely to click evans not godwin but. I'm always like biased the other direction when Godwin's questionable because I won 100k a couple of years ago when <laughs> he was he was questionable and like one percent owned and he had a monster game. So now when he's questionable, I just like naturally I'm just like yeah, whatever. Godwin's fine. <laughs> nice man. Yeah, I always have some biases like that. Uh, unfortunately, Big Ben, who had my big game earlier this year, was out, so I couldn't go all in on him. But <laughs> um, all right, I want to mention our schedule for today before we uh, talk about some more plays. So. Got a lot of NBA content. We just did the strategy show with Josh and uh, and uh, Ship My Money here. And then later today, we got uh, the NFL uh, or the Osmo betting show with Aton and, and Ben. Uh, if you go to Osmo Odds on YouTube and give us a follow there, that is where we have a lot of our betting content. Osmo Fantasy Football with Aton, Laffy, and Tara. That's on the Fantasy Football channel, and uh, they're going to be talking about waiver wire and everything you need for, for your season-long lineups this week. Then we got the Yahoo NFL show, uh, NBA pre-lock festivities, uh, two hours of content kind of going through all the, the breaking news. Actually, it looks like we got uh, almost three hours today. And then we got the showdown live before lock, so for NFL. So we got uh, a lot of stuff to help you get prepared for tonight's slates. All right, let's talk some stacks. 
So the uh, it seemed like what stack you were on didn't really play a huge part in in who won yesterday. So that that was a little bit of a surprise because I usually feel like if you get that right, you're halfway there. But this this wasn't a slate where any like super stack really paid off. What did you see? Yeah, so I was kind of thinking about that, and and I think there were a couple of reasons for it. Uh, one, two popular stacks did well. Uh, the you know Dak was sixteen percent in the slant. Josh Allen was twelve percent. So there wasn't like a huge difference between Dak plus CD Lamb or Allen plus um, plus Diggs. But also one kind of weird thing, I, I don't know if you do it or not, but I typically try not to use this, the defense of the team that I'm stacking, uh, just because I think you know like if you get a defensive touchdown, then that's just another reason that you know it, it takes a possession away from your offense and it. Uh, potentially makes it so that, you know, the game gets out of hand and your offense takes their foot off the gas. Um, but I think that's a at least somewhat common, like, strategy is not to do that. So when you had the Cowboys defense score 23 points and kind of break the slate at defense, but then also one of the best stacks was their offense, I think you just probably had a lot of – it made it so, like, the Bills stacks could kind of catch the Dallas stacks because they had the, the Dallas defense potentially as well. So I thought that was kind of a weird piece that made it so – the stacks were a little bit more spread out as well. Yeah, definitely. That, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, maybe some big Dallas fans had Dak plus Dallas defense yeah. plus the CD. But uh, what I'm seeing here is actually, it looks like these top four quarterbacks, Dak, Brady, Herbert, Allen, made up more than 50% of all the ownership, if, if or about 50%. So, I mean, there were – how many teams were there on yesterday's slate? Like 22. 22 so – Four teams made up half the ownership. Does that seem right to you, or do you think that people were going too heavy on the chalk stacks? Uh, well, considering how I approached it, I, I guess I have to say that I didn't think that was right. Um, I didn't <laughs> have quite as much, you know, as most of those guys. I was about even on Dak, but I was under on Brady. I was under on Herbert. I was under on Allen. So, uh, I mean, I guess yeah, I, I have to say that I thought it was a little bit too concentrated at the top. I thought that. Uh, Atlanta for sure, I thought should have more exposure or more ownership than they did. You know, that was a team on the other side of what was expected to be a high scoring game against Dallas, where you also had good pieces. You know, Kyle Pitts was one of the best tight ends. Cordero Patterson was a viable running back option. So that was a team that I thought was on their own. And then, you know, we kind of already mentioned it, but, uh, you and I, and it seems like a lot of, of, uh, good players seem to be interested in getting to, uh, at least one of the Arizona or Pittsburgh stacks for cheap as well. Yeah, that was interesting because I feel like one of the advantages to stacking is you can get a lot of players that individually aren't like great plays and then just like ride variants to the top. So I think that's really the idea with Mason Rudolph and Cole McCoy yesterday. Uh, man, that Pittsburgh game, he threw 50 times. So like you'd think that it would have been perfect, but man, that was a little bit of a frustrating one because – Ray Ray McLeod got a lot of targets. He got like 13 targets, I think. And he was a guy that we were projecting to, to be playing a good amount, but just he never had gotten targeted at a clip like that before. So that was kind of a wrench in it. And then Mason Rudolph like only had a mediocre performance on top of that. Cole McCoy, he just did horrible and then got, I think he got injured halfway through the game on top of that. So in retrospect, bad bad luck or bad play? Maybe a little bit of both. Like, like I'm still not super confident that 
it was the best approach, but the seeing that like you did it and like a lot of other top players did, it makes me think that it was at least in part, just also getting a little bit unlucky. Like the thing with McCoy, there was nothing. It's not like I like Colt McCoy, but the thing that I really liked about stacking there was there were just so many cheap pieces on what could be a team that scores a lot of points. Like, Going to McCoy and saving it at quarterback, you can pair it. You can use, you know, Rondell Moore at 4,400. You had Kirk, you had Green, you had James Conner. You had all these guys that potentially ended up being or could end up being really, really good values. And then you can just build, you know, really high upside teams around that. So it was a spot where even though I think the quarterback sucks, I thought that the, the playmakers that you could play with him were good enough and cheap enough that it was really appealing. So, uh, definitely not going to go out and, you know, die on the hill that uh, I'm smarter than everyone for playing Colt McCoy or anything. But um, I I do think that that, that's, it's an approach that I'd like to take in general where not necessarily just grabbing a cheap quarterback and saying like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go here because I do think that is one spot where the game has kind of changed since like I first started playing NFL DFS because I used to kind of treat quarterback like defense where I was like, I don't care. I just want a cheap guy. But now as teams throw more, you get a much bigger gap between the top quarterbacks and guys like McCoy. So it's not a great strategy anymore. I don't think to just grab the cheap guy, but I do like doing it when you have uh, cheap, good playmakers with him that can kind of like drag him along. Like, Colt McCoy doesn't have to be good to get the ball into the hands of Rondell Moore and Rondell Moore make a huge play. Uh, so in spots like that, I do still like going there. Oh man, I'm triggered because Rondell Moore, I just looked on PFF this morning. He only played like a third of the snaps. And <laughs> like, I, I looked at his box scores like before, you know, yesterday's slate, he had been doing like horrible, like his biggest fantasy performance was week two. Since then he hadn't topped like 10 points. So I guess like, the coaches just were sick of him at, after a certain point and he didn't play that much. So now I'm really regretting like having a bunch of him, but like, it's hard to know that ahead of time with DeAndre Hopkins out. What's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, yeah, it sucks, but like what, what I, the way I see it is, you know, when you look at, at the ownership for Arizona going into that game, you didn't really know what the, what, what the receiver rotation was going to look like, right? Like even with Hopkins out, you still have Kirk, you have green, you have more, um, but more was 2% owned. Uh, AJ green was not showing up for me for some reason. Um, the, the point being like, none of those guys got ownership. Like Christian Kirk was 4%. So you don't, you, you kind of don't have to be right all that often. Um, or, or even that confident in your projection like if, if, if Rondell Moore were getting like 15% ownership, I would want to be pretty freaking confident that Rondell Moore is going to be on the field a lot. Um, if you tell me he's 2% owned, I'm kind of just willing to say, look, I don't know what this Arizona offense is going to do. I think he's cheap. I think Christian Kirk is cheap, et cetera. I kind of want to just have exposure to these guys at no ownership and know that I'm in a really, really good position when they happen to have a good game. Definitely. Yeah, man, that was a, a tough one in retrospect, but I think also, there weren't very many cheap wide receivers that that anyone was playing. So it wasn't like there were great alternatives at that price either. So kind of chalked that up to a little bit of process where maybe I could have saw that coming, but also what can you do? Um, I mean, a lot of it too is if he had played well at the start of the game, maybe get more playing time. So it's not all like predetermined. Um, now, one thing I, I noticed when I'm looking at these ownerships for the stacks is Aaron Rodgers was only 5% owned. 
Russell Wilson was only 4% owned. I mean, these are supposed to be two of the top quarterbacks in the league. Maybe not the most fantasy-friendly teams, but like I, I look at our ownerships like we didn't end up with them. But it seemed like even though that game ended up being a complete trash for fantasy, like those guys should have been higher owned. I don't know. What's your, what, what's your feeling about those guys? Yeah, they, they were both guys where when I saw like my personal exposures, I was just like, yeah, that kind of would have been nice to, to get to those guys, I think. But I think it also probably was just like it wasn't particularly cheap stacks for them. And like I preferred, you know, Dak and one of those guys. Um, so I think when you kind of as you start like allocating stuff, like as far as the payoffs go, I, there, there were teams that I, I there were stacks I liked better. And then, you know, obviously I like some of the cheap ones. So that like you're allocating a lot of money potentially to like Rogers plus Adams plus Metcalf or something, or Wilson plus Metcalf plus Adams, whatever you want to, you know, however you want to do that stack, you know, or maybe throw Lockett in there too. Um, it, it's just, you know, relatively expensive, I think. So I think maybe that was something that pulled it down a little bit. Um, but I'm with you. Like when I look at that one, I don't view it as like, it would have been a bad play. I view it more as a spot where I didn't get to it. It doesn't seem like anybody really got to it. But if you're someone like watching the show and you're like, I took a stand on unowned Aaron Rodgers slash Russell Wilson, I wouldn't say you made like a bad play. I think that if you play that slate a thousand times, um, if you play any slate a thousand times and your stand is having Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson and their offense at no ownership, you are going to put, you're going to have some, some big days in there. Definitely. Yeah. Especially like with Devontae Adams being really high owned that like, it seems like Aaron Rodgers, like most slimes with Adams didn't have Rodgers. So it's kind of interesting opportunity there for a different kind of leverage, but obviously that didn't work out at all (laughs) yesterday, but it's one to think about. All right. Let's talk about some, some sleepers that, that we were on and how those turned out. First, let's talk about No House Advantage. They're a uh, up and coming DFS site where you can play prop contests. And the way you, you it works is you build a lineup of props. You rate your confidence in each one, and then whoever gets the most of them right at the end of the night wins the prize pool. So uh, you can play either NFL Showdown or NBA for No House Advantage, but. Let's look at some of the NFL props on NHLA for tonight. Uh, are there any? One that's kind of standing out to me is Odell Beckham Jr. They have him at 45 and a half receiving yards. I feel like he's only been with the team a few days. Like he probably can't play that many plays. It takes some time to learn the, the playbook. So I feel like that's an interesting under. Who are you over or under on in tonight's game? Yeah, I'm with you on Beckham just because, like, it seems like there's so many ways for that to fail, like, assuming that he's not completely caught up in the playbook yet. And uh, you do have, you know, other competent receivers, clearly, with Cup and Jefferson. So I think that makes sense. Um, I think the over for Stafford looks pretty good. Uh, the line's 295 and a half. We haven't projected for 311. So pretty nice difference uh, there, I think. Nice. All right, so make sure to check out No House Advantage. Uh, the promo code AwesomeLog gives you a free bonus up to $20. All right, let's pull up some of the, the plays that we were on yesterday that, that maybe were low-owned. I, uh, I think we talked about some of them, like Mason Rudolph, uh, Deontay Johnson, also with the Steelers, but one that you're uh, heavily exposed to is Jarvis Landry. Uh, you'd think with... No OBJ, OBJ that he would uh, be in a spot to thrive, but 
only 5% ownership yesterday. I kind of like it. It didn't work out, but uh, in retrospect, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I still feel fine about it. You know, it's not that I thought he was particularly likely to have a great game, but there really just weren't that many cheap wide receivers that were remotely appealing yesterday. And so, you know, in some lineups where, you know, maybe I was getting Najee Harris or, or Jonathan Taylor or whatever, um, I thought that there's at least a path to success there. It's one of those where I don't want to get like too bogged down in what is the most likely thing to happen. And I still want to keep in mind that at five, five K or 5,200, I think he was, um, there's still a, a pretty nice ceiling for him just in terms of receptions and then yardage. Uh, you don't need him to have, you know, three touchdowns and hundred yards or anything to pay off that salary. So uh, at, at a pretty weak price point at that position and, you know, a pretty good price tag. I was fine going there at low ownership. If he'd been popular, I think I'd get away from it pretty quickly. Yeah, I like that as well. Uh, now, how do you feel about with Deontay Johnson being so popular and you had him in 57% line, so is that 70%? Does having him in your lineup impact whether you want to have Landry or not? Um, it makes it, like, in a perfect world, I wouldn't have them together. Um, I don't really mind it. That's another, that, that's actually another thing where I've gone from having like really strict rules against it to being more lenient as I've just kind of looked at, at teams winning and or at, at winning DFS lineups rather. And it's another thing where I think like, yeah, there's some negative correlation because if Dearness Johnson scores a touchdown, Jarvis Landry didn't, but also if the Browns are dominating possession and, or moving the ball really well for one reason or another, there's a good chance that you're just getting a lot of opportunities for both of those guys. So, um, you know, if I'm hand building one lineup, I probably don't play them together, but across 150, I didn't have any sort of rule set not to have them together. Um, but it also is a situation where you can make the case, you know, if you don't have the Ernest Johnson, maybe you want to have more Landry in the lineups that don't have Johnson. And you're kind of saying, okay, if the Browns score, given their, their roster right now, there's only so many guys that can be doing it. So if they score um, and everybody's playing Dearness Johnson, then it does you know, kind of offer some leverage having Jar uh, Jarvis Landry as well. Nice. Now, another guy you had at low ownership was DJ Moore. Uh, PJ Walker was filling in for Sam Darnold, but Darnold, man, had been like dreadful this year. So it's not like he could go that much worse having a, another, another, another guy in there. You had him at 12%. The field was at 3%. So what do you think about that? I think I'm fine with that one. And there, there's one big reason why I got so much of him. It didn't even have to do with more. It had to do with how much Arizona I was playing, I would think. Uh, you know, uh, once I'm getting a lot of Colt McCoy plus his receivers and, and Connor and everything, um, and a lot of those, I'm going to have a Panthers run back. And clearly that's going to be DJ Moore a lot. But just in general, that's another situation where I think in large field tournaments, especially, I'm not, you know, obviously I would prefer he have a competent quarterback. But when you have someone as talented as DJ Moore, at a pretty cheap price tag and low ownership, I'm just always inclined to roster a really talented guy in that situation and hope he finds a way to get it done. Because, um, you know, I, I understand that the quarterback isn't good, but for one, like you said, Darnold's been bad most of the season anyway. Um, but it all still just kind of comes back to range of outcomes versus ownership. And if DJ Moore had a competent quarterback at 6,300, he'd be a hell of a lot higher owned than 3%. So I kind of think that him being 3% owned takes a lot of the, oh, but his quarterback isn't very good out of the equation and I'm willing to play him again. Definitely, yeah. Um, I'm trying to find guys that, I had that were low-owned, but it seems like only tight ends like really pop out, aside from ones that we've already talked about. I had 
six percent great compared to one point six percent. So yeah. it's hard to have a, a strong feeling about that. Uh, I don't know. Did you have any read on the Tampa Titans? No, I didn't. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not even sure how much of them I got to. I hadn't looked. Um, but I mean, in general, I kind of just spray around tight ends and hope for the best. Uh, yesterday, I actually played a lot of pits, which normally I don't pay up for tight end. But um, yeah, I didn't have a strong feel either way on Tampa Bay. All right. So if we're looking at this late kind of from a holistic standpoint, and we know all the ownerships now in the slant, would you have played anything differently than you did? I don't really think so. Like I was, I was pretty happy with how most of my exposures came in. You know, they, they didn't work out at all. I got killed, but um, it wasn't like, I mean, I guess the one thing I would play differently would be maybe taking more time to uh, get to some Ramondre Stevenson. But uh, (laughs) I think in general, like a, a lot of the stuff I look at, you know, like for example, the fact that I played a lot of Godwin, but not Mike Evans, like I very, very happy to do that every single time going forward um in general just you know not playing a ton of mike evans and playing more of some of the other receivers in that range um i I think made sense as well so i was pretty happy with a lot of the stuff i did like deandre swift uh i played a lot of he was extremely close to a massive game uh he was fine anyway but uh really really could have had a big game um zeke was a play that i was really happy with given you know he was half the ownership of guys like Najee harris Uh, i really liked that so um, for the most part, I was happy with my exposures. I just, you know, needed them to play better. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Swift was one where, man, like, the potential could have been so high like compared to the actual fantasy points he put up because he ran the ball more than 30 times. Yeah. And, like, it was such a fluke that the backup running backs ran for, like, 30 and 40-yard touchdowns. Like, that could have easily been Swift. So, that was super tilting, but I, I don't think that would have – pushed me over the top at all uh anyway so i guess it's one where i was pretty far away from the the winning lineups it's it's crazy man because it it feels like we had a lot of the guys that that did pretty well but just nothing with like all the guys together so i feel like that's pretty much par for the course what do you think yeah and i think so like part of it too is even though I did have a, I was around the field on Dallas, which, you know, clearly was a path to, to winning because guys like Cordero Patterson and uh, Kyle Pitts projected as good plays. I happened to have a lot of Atlanta runbacks in my Cowboys stacks because, you know, why not? It's not like the jets where I'm like, I don't see a single guy that I really want to play here. You know, it's like, Oh, I'm more than happy to play these guys. So like a lot of my Dallas stacks just end up being dead because I decided to play Kyle Pitts in the same lineup. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That that was a really tough one where none of the runbacks really performed. So a lot of this slate, like because it wasn't a slate where the stacks really performed, it kind of hurt you if you're going for two and three players in your stacks like I was, uh, right. which I think is a good strategy because if those two guys have big games, then your quarterback is kind of getting all those points too. But it doesn't work every slate, so. Yeah, and I think, um, like, if you're someone, you know, watching the show and, and kind of trying to evaluate what you did, I think one really key point, it's something that I had heard someone say on a show like this a while ago, um, it, it's important to, like, keep in mind your strategy 
and be able to look at some slates and just say like my strategy was not going to win on this slate because you don't want to like just look back at a slate and say and, and like reconstruct it to say you know, oh well this is how I would win at that slate and then go into next Sunday and you know it's a completely different slate so I think it's important to kind of just be like like you were just saying like be willing to say okay well I I stack pretty heavily on slates where the winning lineups are you know not heavily stacked I'm just not going to win those slates and that's fine yeah definitely one fun thing that uh it can be uh that we can do is we can take a look at the worst performing lineup of the winner so let's pull up Greg Poupon uh, he had a, a lot of great lineups in this one he finished first third and ninth but he uh let's look at the the bottom one uh Russell Wilson stack. That's not very surprising. He had Mike Davis uh, at 0.2% ownership. He got benched like really soon after that game started uh, for Wayne Gallman. So that's something to look into this week. Uh, but it, it looks like he had a lot of the same plays that were kind of popular aside from those. And just like it was kind of the opposite side of the variance where uh, it just seemed like nothing went right, even though he had the winning lineup. So it just kind of reinforces that a lot of this, like you got to just set your lineups and hope for the best. It is a little bit of a crapshoot. What do you think? Yeah, still a solid construction. Uh, you know, Mike Davis, obviously not, not didn't do very well and, and not somebody that was like a high percentage play, but um, still, you know, 4,600 could easily beat Mark Ingram any given game. Uh, he had Amari instead of CD Lamb. So like you're saying, kind of just on the wrong side of it. Um, but still, you know, a well-constructed lineup, I think. Yeah, I kind of like the Mike Davis play because he had been getting the workload. The It kind of was the same thing as Rondale Moore where, like, I, I think I got to factor in more myself that, like, these guys can get benched if they're doing bad. But then you see guys like Elijah Moore, like, uh, a few weeks ago where he, he's been doing nothing and all of a sudden he has a big game. So it, it kind of just reminds me of like, you know, you and I talk about it in NBA in spots where guys have like questionable minutes. If they're playing well, they can get more. And if they're not playing well, it doesn't matter because your lineup wasn't going to win anyway. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So uh, obviously we're assuming if we're putting these guys in our lineups that they're going to have a strong game from the start to finish. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the NFL Strategy Show. Uh, make sure to check out No House Advantage for uh, their prop DFS contest. You just build a lineup of props, and we have projections on the site. Promo code AWESOME for a free $20. And we got a lot of great shows coming up. I'm talking about the showdown NFL tonight, about NHL, about NBA. If you haven't already subscribed to the channel, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And if you want to be notified when we go live, hit the notification bell and make sure to like the video on the way out. We appreciate you guys and uh, good luck. See you guys next week.